785 Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now. And we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com. And thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, let's have a candidate forum. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local or national. But doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks, Meets the Daily Show, Meets C-SPAN. So let's get this show started. Now we've got all the easy questions out of the way. Uh, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Um, these next questions are going to relate to uh, issues of access and equity in our community. Uh, this first question will go to uh, Dr. Platt in District 3. Uh, would you support uh, requiring businesses that receive public funds, be they JADO or other types of public funds, uh, to provide certain supports for their employees, such as a living wage, health insurance coverage, paid leave, child care, any of those kinds of uh, particular topics. Yes. And the, the reason I would say that I would support uh, and the purpose behind the support is that unification and it would address the issues uh, that we were having. So when I, when I think about supporting, one of the things that I would be okay with them supporting is the health conditions when we talk about, because Topeka is very poor in health. So anything we can do to pull up those levels um, to get us out of the level of obesity, to get us out of the level of um, levels of high blood pressure, sugar, diabetes, to get us out of the levels where we have people um, dealing with an overlayering of uh, mental illnesses uh, that are going unmet. Um, I think it's in anxiety issues. I think that would be something I would center in and seek to get employers to pay even more or invest in programming and assistance at a higher level. Thank you, Dr. Platt. And then we will step for a one minute response from Councilwoman Ortiz. Thank you. I too would uh, um, support that. I would also support um, more support to the small businesses in our area because most of the residents over here are low to moderate income and some of the residents, most of the residents over here have two and three jobs just to, to make it. And until we can get that support for that single mother that can't even go to a job interview because who's going to watch her kids? Until we can get that support for that single mother that can have affordable housing and decent housing, you know, until we can help that single mother to give her the training that she needs, whether it's on the job training or it's technical training, I would support that. And I think that's what a lot of our businesses need to look at. A lot of our mom and pop shops are now faced with, with the COVID because they don't have workers. And so they've had to be proactive and they have had to up the, um, their wages and, and different benefits just to keep people working. So Thank I you, would Council. support that and I would support, you know, NATO to do that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This next question uh, will go to you, Mr. Kell. So the city council recently created a housing trust fund to address the significant need that Topeka faces in providing quality, affordable housing opportunities and equitable investment throughout the community, as outlined in the citywide housing market study and strategy. The fund has a goal of raising $1 million in the first year, and the city has committed to match donations to the fund dollar for dollar up to $250,000. What do you believe the city council should be doing to ensure the long-term sustainability of the housing trust fund. There, there's lots of things that can be done to, to keep this fund going. Um, you can look at uh, income-based um, housing where there maybe rent can be based off their income and that money can go back into the fund. Uh, there, there's projects that, that have been talked about, uh, such as small, uh, small uh, tiny home villages or revamping one of the hotels, uh, which are great ideas. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can make a, a, a tiny home community for 
uh, and come elderlies and, and keep staff on there that can help with their needs as medical or transportation, food-wise, things like that. Um, then the hotels are, are great when you can sit there and look and revamp a hotel. You have the conference rooms where you can have uh, meetings for drug and alcohol abuse, job fairs right in the right in the building, and here the needs of, of of people by having meetings there with the council showing up and talking to the uh, um, to, to the residents. Uh, it's one of those things again, like we kind of talked about earlier, having a plan versus having goals. I'm you just never know what's going to happen to to collapse the housing market or. Uh, COVID that, that can completely change a plan and, and change how a sustainable uh, a fund like that is. But uh, hopefully that is something that can be used uh, appropriately and uh, grow our uh, low-income housing market here in Stinka. Like I said, I, I've, I've been looking at, at places for years uh, right next to uh, across the street from uh, Blind Tiger and White Lakes, there's an open lot there and that'd be a great place for a tiny home community to start off and just build up, build it up as, as uh, years go around and like I said, include staff members there to help people with uh, the needs of the residents which, which the housing development might be focused towards. Very good. Thank you very much. Pastor Clark, you have one minute to respond. Thank you, Angel. When I made my announcement for my candidacy for City Council in District 5, we did it strategically from the Echo Ridge Community Center because of the relationships we've garnered with the Topeka Housing Authority. Those things are strategic. They're intentional. Why? Because we want to make it clear that quality, affordable housing will be a focus. And we have the relationships now. We only intend to build upon them if we're selected to be on council. Thank you very much. All right, for the next question, this question will go to you, Councilman Dobler. Um, speaking of, still on the topic of the Housing Trust Fund, uh, what policies do you think should be put in place uh, to govern the use of money from the trust fund to make sure it's used uh, appropriately and equitably? Yeah, thanks, Angel. You know, when you talk about the Housing Trust Fund, affordable housing, the answer to that question boils down to the same thing that answers a lot of questions, and that's growth in our city. Um, if we're simply throwing money into uh, building houses, the, the two hundred fifty thousand isn't going to go very far. Uh, you look at building prices right now; it's it's uh, it's not a lot. We need to make sure that we're providing housing both uh, both affordable and on the outskirts of the city to induce people to come to this community and live. If we can grow the community, bring more people into this community, um, you know, that's going to fund uh, growth both both with affordable housing and housing elsewhere. We have a really have a crisis in this community right now in housing all across the board. Uh, it is difficult to find a house, no matter what uh, what price range you're looking at, and it's it's also difficult to see how we can. Uh, entice people to move to Topeka if we don't have the housing side. So we need to work hard through proper planning, through maintenance of good infrastructure, uh, maintaining a safe city. All of those things lead towards uh, housing, uh, providing the housing that uh, supports growth of the city. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we'll get set back up here for a minute response uh, from Mr. Campbell. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the municipal code uh, governs the way the money is spent. But here's a few ideas that I would like to see implemented, um, you know, during the first 10 years of this fund, likely beyond. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, hardly any and maybe none at all taxes should be raised for this fund. Presumably, the free market should be capable of uh, deciding the value of these initiatives. Um, and economic development. Um, I think that the fund should be spent only from interest money received uh, based on the strength of the fund. Um, it may even be possible to fund uh, to buy municipal bonds that can help uh, reciprocate the initial investments made by the city of Topeka. Um, the fund trustees should work to identify matching grant sources uh, whenever possible. Uh, this is especially true where funds may be able to use to renovate uh, the blighted out areas without displacing uh, vulnerable, vulnerable Topekans. Um, and none of these funds should ever be allowed to be used to take uh, private property for public use, uh, like in uh, you know uh, some 
uh, Supreme Court cases like Hilo versus the city of New London. I think that that would um, see those things um, implemented would really help out our city. Thank you, Mr. Gamble. All right. This next question will be uh, directed to you, Councilman Lesser. Um, as you alluded to earlier, uh, the COVID pandemic has placed a tremendous strain on families uh, when it comes to housing. Uh, what other kinds of policies or initiatives um, should the city pursue uh, to help those struggling with affordable housing outside of just the housing trust fund? Uh, for instance, some communities have extended ev eviction moratoriums in their communities um, and, and enacted policies similar to that. Would you support policies like those or others in our community? Thank you. So, so um, one of the issues um, um, that's, that's tied directly to that is um, addressing the affordable housing that we have and and code compliance as it as it relates to that. One thing that I've been um, involved with quite a bit recently um, is uh, individuals that are living in affordable housing. Um, uh, primarily it's been apartments recently, um, but also as well as um, uh, single family dwellings. And um, we have to address, uh, and, and I'm happy to say as recently as today, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, eight of one of our uh, landlords who have, has a, a monopoly on apartment uh, housing um, in uh, in Topeka that doesn't take care of his his, his properties. Um, his properties are going to go to the tax tip, um because he hasn't paid his taxes. Um, recently, I was involved in trying to get the heating or the heating, not the heating, the air conditioning uh, turned on to a a constituent in in, in my district with. Uh, uh, with uh, children uh, with the temperature reaching up to 100 degrees. And I'm in the process right now of, of, of trying to get some deposits back um, from a, a young single mom in the Trianon apartment complex um, because of uh, uh, bed bugs and so forth and that. Um, the key to that is our code compliance. We have good code people, um, but the problem that we have is we're, we're four people down. We have to get their wages up so they can hire the staff they need um, to be able to enforce these violations that we have. And we have to hold these people accountable. This is an out-of-state out of uh, owner who owns all these complexes. And unfortunately, most of the people in this housing do not have the money to just walk away without the deductible or without their deposit, uh, without their last month's rent and find somewhere else to 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 uh, to live and furthermore um, the, the, the prices that are being charged there are not that much lower than than other places that have owners and landlords that do take care of their properties however for whatever reason in life these individuals don't have the credit uh, that they apply for these to be able to to, to meet the requirements so uh, those are things that I have been working with uh, uh, chief of staff Cochran, um, with city manager, uh, with other council members, Christina Valdivia, um, um, on, on some of these. Uh, I'll stop. Thank you very much. All right. This next question, uh, Councilman Padilla, we are going uh, back up to you. Uh, so for uh, this question, we are curious, uh, what is the best way um, that the mayor um, in working with the city council can ensure um, that the council is serving our community as a whole, including communities of color, high poverty areas, members of the LGBTQ community and other historically marginalized groups within our community? Thank you, Angel. I don't know that, that any mayor can ensure anything. They can work very hard to get to a goal. And I think it's important for a mayor to set a vision, discuss that vision uh, with the entire governing body, get their perspective, and then take that same perspective to those people who will be impacted most by that, by that vision. And I think it's important for us to be in intentional at every effort that we do to engage minorities at every level. And I, I mean intentional because it's easy to put a program into place and say you have one. It's a lot harder to live that program in day-to-day -day life. And we have to make sure that that is our intent all along, is to work toward that goal in everything that we do in serving the public. So 
I think that is what a mayor can do to encourage, be an advocate, and, and be the person who reminds us of our responsibilities to our entire city and make that clear that in everything we do, we do it to serve the public and no one is excluded from that service. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Kanjiani, your one-minute response. Awesome. Thank you. So I am a connector. I am an immigrant. I, I know a few languages as well, so I know what underserved means. Being ignored, being not really uh, put into light or in those facets. So I want to create some type of central hub, some uh, neighborhood-level initiatives and programs that we can come together create that community of involvement. And Topeka is a great, I would have still be here if it wasn't great, great people and, and welcoming. Okay, there is welcoming people in Topeka, but let's continue that force along the momentum and continue that love. The Topeka love we talked about before this whole thing. Uh, all these people here love Topeka and want to see a better Topeka. So we're going to continue that momentum and I, and I want to be out there. I want to be at your doorstep and talking. We need a connection to say, hey, you can go a central hub, a central person to kind of, hey, we'll lead you to other places. And I've always been a connector and I'm going to continue to be a connector before this, after this for my whole life. So I, as a mayor, it's very important to, to portray that and continue that on and I'm willing to do that. Thank you very much, Mr. Gangiani. Thank you. Thank you. And I apologize, Mr. Bland. We totally skipped right over you on this last question. So let me go back to that, that last question. Uh, again, that council uh, Councilman Lester address. And um, I'll repeat the question. We'll give you um, another minute to, to respond. Um, so again, that question was, um, as you know, the COVID pandemic has placed a tremendous strain on families when it comes to housing. Um, what other uh, kinds of policies or initiatives outside of the housing trust fund um, should the city pursue to help those struggling with affordable housing? Um, for instance, some communities have explored extending ev eviction moratoriums in their communities. Would you support policies like that or other policies? Of course, I would never put policies uh, like that and uh, other policies that, that go with that. I believe one of the biggest things is educating the people on how, how to use the funds that the government does give them, um, you know, and using them in the proper manner. Um, I believe that goes a long way because it's, it's, it's hard when we put things in place, but then they're not used properly, if that makes sense. Um, so just, you know, kind of making sure that the everyday, everyday working person who may be laid off due to COVID um, and they're getting that extra money from unemployment and they're getting that extra money from certain things, that there are maybe some extra educational tips and things put in place, um, you know, money management type classes that help deal with those type of deals, things, so that way we're not, um, you know, totally putting ourselves behind when it comes to having to extend moratoriums or having to worry about lights getting cut off, things of that nature. I believe, again, once we take care of ourselves, we can also take care of others. Thank you very much. Apologies for, for skipping over you on that, that question. No well, that takes us um, into our next um, category. So these next couple questions uh, focus on topics that are related to public safety. And so, Councilwoman Hiller, this next question will go to you. What kinds of policies um, should the city council uh, explore when it comes to uh, reducing deaths uh, caused by firearms in our community? I would very much like to, um, to see us continue with other cities to lobby the state to allow local option for firearms control again. Uh, in the course of the term that I was on council, we really worked with the citizens and our officers in the community to establish gun management policies in a way that we felt was appropriate for the city. And I don't think it was even 18 months old before the state decided to take those matters into their own hands and and um, told all of the municipalities that, that the state would take it over. It really surprised me because that was mostly people who believe that nobody else should run people's business. Anyway, um, we're hope I, I would like to see that back. 
Meanwhile, um, certainly we're working on police and community relations here, um, gun violence, and, and we're also working on economic development. That full equity and inclusion that people have talked about so people feel like they belong, whether it has to do with the neighborhoods, redevelopment and belonging and respecting that environment that you live in. Um, we've got some, we're working on property maintenance to just clean up and engage people in all of that. Um, the issues of how the police are trained, that may not pertain so much to the gun control issue, but nonetheless, we want to make sure that everybody respects the police and that um, one of the things that we're looking at at police and PDA is making sure that their personnel reviews reflect the, uh, the standards that we've said are important. There's a couple of improvements that can happen there. We have great guys, but again, you want to make sure that you have the outcomes that you wanted in your policing. Also, there's been discussion of of equitable wages and job opportunities. And those are really important as well. We've got a lot of youth programs here. We share some of that with the county at this point. We support our social services, getting youth off to the right foot in a, in a safe neighborhood, in a family where there's a living wage, in a school and an after-school program that keeps them busy and challenged and engaged in the community. And where they know the community really wants to hear their voice and have them involved, which we are also working on, makes a difference in feeling connected and valued. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, this next question, we will go to Councilwoman Ortiz. So this last question spoke to questions of policy. Um, on this question, we're talking more about community support services. So what community support services um, are needed to reduce crime and gun violence, including suicide in the community? And how would you go about helping um, ensure availability of those services to everyone in our community? Well, I think that we need to educate educate the public and also I think we need to educate our young people. We need to draw them in at a grade school middle school level um, to, to show them how important it is to have gun safety, gun control to, 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 to break that down. You know um, when I hear young people say well I'm not going to make it past the age of 20 that's, that's really sad. That's really sad um, and I think that we need to continue to put monies towards um, different programs and different agencies so that they can um, we need to put in more programs for you we need to pull them to the side to make them to educate them and to and to make them a part of our city. But we also need to, to um, identify the programs in which they need help. And then we need to fund them so that they can get the help that they desire and they need. Um, that's, that's really a tough one because you see so many youth bringing guns to school, you know. Um, you know, they're on all of these social media games and, and, and they're just intrigued by all of that. But we really, really need to support um, the, our young people in educating them on what could be. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Platt will have you give a one minute for response. Well, one of the things I, um, I do agree with what um, City Council Ortiz stated. But one of, there's another piece to this. When we, when we talk about mentorship, not only mentorship but entrepreneurship, it is a great tie-in because it gives them not only allows them to be ignited in that which they believe and they have the potential to develop, but they're able to be a resource to the community and they're able to do the internal work before they step out into the external. Another thing, we have to partner with our mental health services. We have to partner with our hospitals. We have to have local initiatives that are coming together that are not only meeting the need of the family or of the community, but of the individual. Um, once the individual is whole, the community will grow. Um, so we have to go back to the foundations of understanding that everyone must know and feel like they're part of something great, right? If I'm not, then I can kill it. If I'm not, I can destroy it. If I'm not, I can give up on it or I can walk away from it. So we're in a season where we have to work on the individuals. So our initiatives, our mentorship, our entrepreneurial programs. Thank you, Dr. Platt. All right. For our next question, our next question will go to Pastor Clark. Uh, we are going to switch gears again here. We have one more section before we get to some questions from our audience. 
audience. Um, of course, each of the organizations participating in tonight's forum have a keen interest in voter education and empowerment. So these last questions speak uh, to some of those issues. Uh, so this question, uh, when the city council uh, gets the opportunity, as they will next year, to draw new districts um, for the city council as part of the redistricting process, what criteria would you look at? Would you take into consideration um, as you're looking to determine rather districts are drawn in a way that's fair to voters in the community? Thank you for the question, Angel. For me, the key terms here when you're talking about fairness are equity, uh, inclusion, diversity. We want to make sure that when we, when we get the opportunity to reach draw lines, that folks aren't intentionally left out. We don't want to use the, the pen to carve people out of the equation. We want to use, we want to be inclusive as much as we can. So if we get the opportunity, which we will, we'll, we'll get the opportunity to redraw the lines. We want to make sure we have the right people, with the right hearts, the right mindset, making sure that folks aren't boxed out, making sure that we aren't carving out and creating communities of exclusion, but inclusion. Thank you very much. Mr. Kell, we have uh, one minute for a response. Yes, the, the biggest thing is, is zero gerrymandering needs to be happening. Uh, uh, we, we've actually had pretty good lines. I know a few districts kind of jet out a few different directions uh, that we could uh, work on by, uh, you know, just example of my, my district in District 5 uh, on the east, uh, northeast corner kind of jets out. It seemed like it'd be more uh, adequate maybe for a, a, a Councilman Marquise's district uh, because that could sometimes affect um, the accessibility to voting. So as long as we kind of keep everything as uh, as was said before, equal, uh, look at, at the aspects of voter availability and, and make sure we're not gerrymandering this. It, it should be uh, very simple because it, we do have a pretty decent uh, district right now as it comes to kind of uh, overall shape and, and diversity, especially in the 5th district. 5th is, is a very diverse district. Thank you, Mr. Cow. This next question, we will start with Mr. Campbell. If your personal beliefs um, were to differ from the majority of the constituents that you represent, what values um, and how would you go about um, uh, deciding how to vote on issues? Good way for me, and I was say something that we're not really seeing too much right now is, so if I'm elected, then I'm basically the representative of the entire uh, district, for district side. So I'd really like to get involved and have some type of, I don't know, program or some type of reach out thing where, where they can come and talk to me um, or some type of forum where they can talk to me and really get the general consensus on which route is best to go. If my personal beliefs don't uh, align with my constituents, I'm not there for me. I'm not there to, to better myself and my position. I'm not there to make more money. Um, I'm there to help out people of District 7. So I would try to form some type of form or some type of way where I can talk to, you know, as many people as possible, reach as many people in District 7 as possible, get the general consensus on what they want from me, how they want me to vote on, on issue A or issue B, and basically take the, um, you know, the emotion of my, myself out of it because I'm not there on the city council for myself. I'm there for my... Thank you very much. Councilman Dobler, your one-minute response. Thank you, Angel. I think uh, all of us uh, try to look, obviously, at our district. We've been a district. Uh, districts vary across the city. They have different issues in each district. Um, so it's, it's incumbent upon us to look at the issues of our district, listen to the people of our district. But beyond that, look at what's best for the city of Phoenix. Uh, so I think all of us find ourselves at various times um, representing the entire city as well as just the district. So you put those two things together, and, and I've got to say, after uh, doing this for a couple of years, uh, usually the answer is pretty simple. When you look at what's best for your district, uh, plus what's best for the city at large, and keep your keep your personal uh personal issues out of it and do what's best for the community. Thank you. Thank you. 
we are getting ready to come up on our last uh, prepared question of the night. So uh, just as a reminder, we have seen lots of, of good questions come in on the chat. And so I know Kristen with YWCA is working on getting those compiled. We've seen some some similar themes um, related to those questions. So we're trying to get those those grouped together and get those uh, get those compiled. We know we've we've seen some questions that I think have, we've had a chance to address tonight, but I think there are still some other um, outstanding questions that I know people have. So just want you to know that we will have a chance to get to those questions here momentarily um, and are working on getting those uh, questions compiled. So we'll be looking for those here in just a moment. Uh, for this next question, we will start with you, Mr. Bland. Uh, this question is, what should be the city council's role in increasing access to voting and voting education for all citizens in Topeka? I believe that the city council um, should definitely have a part in the education process, uh, especially when it comes to the local elections. Um, you know, this is this is one thing that we're here to serve the people. Um, and at the end of the day, whether it's I get elected to a seat or not, it's now my my obligation to teach those who come behind me. Um, I believe that education, whether it be in school or whether it comes to elections, um, is definitely the most important piece to making a better America, a better Topeka a better Shawnee County, a better anywhere that we live. Um, so with that being said, I believe that if each council member were very intact and in tune with their constituents in their district, uh, they should be holding forums talking about the importance of voting. Uh, why, if they want to see change, if they want to see different things happening, these conversations should be happening throughout the year, not just during election season or when it is time to rerun. Uh, so, you know, these things should definitely be happening, not for our benefit, but for our benefit, for the whole benefit of the city, not just for us and those that are running for office. Thank you very much. Councilman Lesser. Thank you. And in response to the question, you know, real quick, I think we should do, as a council, everything that's in our power uh, to use the facilities at our disposal with the funds that we have um, to, to encourage voting, especially at the youngest ages. Um, and, and, and I think that we need to be uh, um, um, reaching out as much as possible to do that. We did. We 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 established a youth council um, during my term, which which uh, I, I think uh, made a difference in, in helping to educate young people. Um, and, and and then you know the the other thing we we, we need to do is um, reach out after the fact, uh, as, as Mr. Bland said, you know, uh, to 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 those that uh, uh, make us think maybe differently than we did before. Uh, one of my one of my opponents. Um, Joe Charest in the last election has turned into be one of my best friends. Um, I, I, I reached out to her after the election and said, let's sit down and, and, and talk and tell me what, what you think. Um, and uh, um, she's brought lots of things to the table that have helped me to see things in a way that I maybe don't see in the socioeconomic very good. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we have reached the end of our pre-prepared questions. We'll start off with, we have some questions related to the economy. Um, and so this question will go to both mayoral candidates. And so um, you'll both have one minute each to respond. So we will start with uh, Councilman Padilla. Uh, would you actively support the Central Topeka Grocery Oasis Group to bring a new grocery store to Central Topeka replacing the loss of the Dillons that serve that area. Thank you. Um, yes, I, you know, I used to stop at that grocery store all the time on the way home from work. It was convenient for me. Uh, it had the things that I needed. And so I, I ran into a lot of people that I knew there. So when it left, it left a big hole in that community. And there was no plan to replace it. And I think that's the issue that comes to my mind a lot of times, uh, not just with the grocery store uh, oasis, but with other resources that um, different community, parts of the community don't have access to. We have to pre-plan. If we know in advance something's going to happen, like the, the, the store leaving, we have to put some wheels to work to find a way to replace that. And yes, I would support it. There may not be the big box grocery store that we're used to, but it needs to have attention. It needs to have something I've, I've suggested before, some kind of a, uh, a small neighborhood bodega type of uh, grocery store. Uh, I see them all the time on the east side. Right. East Coast, excuse me. <laughs> Thank you, Councilman. Uh, Mr. Kanjiani, your response. Thank you. Yes, we've talked about uh, 
uh, in other forums before uh, in other interviews, food deserts, food desert. I live by that sentence they're talking about. I'm in District 6, the heart of the city. And yeah, once that went down, we felt the ramifications from it. Of course, of course I'm, I'm down and, I, and I'm ready for another grocery store. If it's sustainable, if it's responsible, and of course, I'm down. we need it. We need it in our area. We did get another neighborhood market up on, on McVicker, up north a little bit. But still, a little bit closer, because food desert is considered what? No grocery store within like a mile. So that they say there's a lot around the city, and it did feel it. We felt it when it went away. It was great convenience to have it there, and a great help for others to, from a walking distance for, from a big community, from a much needed community. But of course, more groceries, the better, the better help we can do uh, for the city. That more jobs, it just creates more uh, opportunities. But like I grew up in, in Miami, we had La Vaquita, a small little grocery store that had all the, the basic essentials. So something like that. Is well, is needed somewhere around the whole city. Thank you. And uh, Councilwoman Hiller, they've asked for uh, your response as well for his question. Thank you. Um, I do represent the district that Dylan was in, and they didn't give us any notice, so that part was out. Um, I, As with any other issue, I think what's important with this grocery store issue is to look at outcomes, as I think Mike said earlier. Um, we came up with five reasons, five things that we lost there. We lost groceries, we lost a pharmacy, they were close to bus lines for people to transport back and forth from the neighborhood. Um, they, they had a, did I say bill pay payer service? And also, it was a real social center for that neighborhood immediately around it and those must be stopped there. Um, we need to make sure that, particularly the advocates have wanted to make sure it was serving our very lowest income people. We've got to make sure we know who was shopping there. And also, just in the last four years, especially through COVID, things have changed. People are delivering vegetables. We're doing more farmer's markets. People are delivering vegetables to the doors in many neighborhoods. We have food delivery services. We need to evaluate all the issues. Sorry. Thank you very much. Um, and then lastly, they've also asked for responses from the candidates in District 3. So, Councilwoman Ortiz, we'll start with you. Thank you. Yes, I will support that. I, too, would go in there and shop um, on my way home from work. I don't know. It was just a... I, I've done it for years, and I, and I did like it. I was happy to see the group that came through and said, no, we're not going to have another empty building. We're going to have something there for the community. And I applaud those NIAs and all the groups that came together. Uh, there's too many to mention in 30 seconds. But um, they, they are willing to do whatever they have to do to get back groceries or food to, to that area that support not just that area, but people that are going home from work are passing through. Um, it was real convenient for me, and it was convenient for everybody. So I, I'm totally agreeing to support that, and I do support the health center. That's been a big plus, but it's not a score. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Platt, you have one minute to respond as well. Thank you, sir. Um, yes, I do support it. And I support it for two reasons. Um, it's needed. One, let's go on and lay that down there. It's needed. Um, and then it gave access for a community um, that was looking for a place to go. I used to stop there as well. Um, but when I look, think of that question, I think of um, the Ophufales, um in District 3 area and the need for that grocery store area to be open and revitalized and something there as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next question still on uh, issues of the economy. Uh, well, Councilman Heller will direct this to you as the person of the district probably closest to Washburn, uh, out of the, the group right here. Uh, what are your ideas for keeping young folks, including Washburn University grads, in Topeka to work and contribute to our city? We need quality of place. We need it to be the kind of place that somebody would choose to live and then get the job. And that, that includes then the kinds of things we've been doing, the bikeways, the river, the trails, the downtown, the, the new urban down at Wheatfield, the activities and the spirit that have been growing, the arts and so on. But also what we're finding, um, if you look at the Washburn grads, the, the leaders from the Washburn student government, I'll include you, Angel, and others, they are folks who want to be engaged in the community, who have the capacity to pull people together and lead. And they are doing that here 
and in other communities. I think one of the things that we are building now that will make a difference that's attracting people now is really working on community engagement, giving people a voice and having them be able to latch on to an issue or an opportunity that they have and, and grow it. And I think that that will work with the students as well. Thank you very much. Uh, Councilman Clark will direct this question to you. Uh, what are your ideas for increasing diversity amongst both building and business owners within our community? Oh, thank you for the question, Angel. It's um, pilot programs, right? There are many people who want, they want, first of all, training and training. People want to be entrepreneurs. They want to start their own businesses. They just need uh, direction, right? So where do I get resources? Where do I, what direction do I need to go in to get resources? We need to make those things available. We need to point people in the right direction. There's a lot of agencies who are doing work, but that's making that a priority. It's being intentional about it, pointing people in the right direction, particularly in underserved communities. Uh, so that folks are able to employ not only themselves, but others in there with, with it. Usually people have a tendency to uh, associate with, with like likeness. And so that will, if we can empower them, give them the resources and the tools they need, guidance point them in the right direction, I think we can begin to see a turnaround. Thank you very much. Uh, just like, I'm uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Mr. Cal. Just like uh, Marcus said, I'm, there are agencies out there that help that. Uh, Washington Small Business uh, Association uh, does help with, with training on how to start a business and, and what aspects you need to look at. Uh, other things that you need to look at is, uh, you know, letting people figure out what their skill is. Uh, I used to work at Lansing Correctional Facility, and they mow all their own grounds with push mowers, and a lot of those guys are small engine mechanics. And I always told them, you know, there's this could be something you can go outside the, uh, of this prison and do, uh, and, and work uh, work on people's mowers and small engines. And then at job fairs, you can always look and see and, and have someone there to talk to people about small business. I run my own little landscaping business at nights and weekends with my wife and daughters, and we actually had a few other people come out and help us, but it's, uh, it's trying to, you know, educate people what their skill is, and trying to find that niche that they're good at, and then try to help support. I, I support small businesses with a, I have a uh, Facebook page called Try to Keep the that, uh, Thank you, Mr. Thank you very much. All right, this next question again, still on the economy. Um, I'll direct this to start with to uh, Councilman Dobler, I believe one of the JDO members that is on uh, tonight. Uh, this question asks: uh, Can JDO afford to save and preserve the Nick Childs Building and register it so that it can't be demolished? It is a huge economic landmark for the Black business development that occurred in the late 19th century and 20th century. Speak to that specific building, but I think it is appropriate for JADO to spend money on redevelopment of existing infrastructure, existing buildings in the city. If that attracts uh, business, if that attracts builds business in in the city, particularly in the you know the central core of the community, uh, that leads to more more businesses, more people, uh, the need for grocery stores, uh, the ability to sustain grocery stores, as we talked about earlier. Um, again, I think we've seen Jado shift from trying to bring industry into the outskirts of, you know, in the South Topeka where the big industrial parks were, uh, to supporting more homegrown businesses and uh, you know, uh, small businesses that want to start. So if preserving buildings like that uh, allow that, then I'm in support of that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Campbell will allow you a as well. Yeah, but I don't see why I couldn't. Um, how, how much of the, uh, the $60 million that Jado's given to, like, go to people that has helped um, spend the workforce or help preserve these buildings? I think that we can use some of those funds to do that. Uh, you know, and how much of the tens of millions of incentives Jado's handed out to businesses not to ensure, you know, pay leave for the you know, workers of Topeka, you know, to help uh, try to keep these buildings together? Um, now, the labor force is shrinking uh, by the year. You know, more than 20,000 people who work in China County live outside the county. And who can blame them with the high taxes, right? So I think a better uh, question would be how do we keep people in, in Topeka so we don't have any dependent buildings all the time. And I think that Jato um, has more than enough money to preserve some of these buildings and help the, uh, the, the media. Thank you very much. 
Uh, this next question, I will direct to our uh, candidates in uh, District 9. So I'll start with Councilman Lesser. Uh, how would you balance uh, development, city development, with the preservation of the history and heritage of our city? Well, I think I think that can uh, that can be a delicate delicate uh, delicate task. Um, I think you have to be be careful to 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 uh, to make sure that historic buildings that have a historic past for our community uh, that that represent more than just the brick and mortar itself. I think you have to 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 try to do what you can do to keep those buildings sustainable um, and, and, and recognize the history that they bring. Um, the other thing, though, is just because something is old doesn't mean it's historical. Um, I watch pawn shops too much, the show pawn shop too much, and, and that's one of the things that Rick always says on that. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's valuable. Um, and we're dealing with one of those outside the plaza. We have an old building that needs to be taken down. It's not sustainable. It, it's hindering economic development, and um, we're making the developer jump through hoops to just take it down. So there again, just because something's old doesn't mean it's historical. Thank you very much. Mr. Bland. And where I do agree with Councilman Lesser that we do have to be very delicate in the way that we deal with that, I do disagree in the fact that uh, who is it valuable to? And that's what we have to hold. We have to understand that we have many different cultures and many different communities that lie here within Sabika. And just because it's not valuable to one community does not mean that it's not valuable to another. And so in doing so, I do believe that we need to, again, put our ear to the streets, talk to our constituents, talk to those that are in those communities, and see how much value it really does hold. And if it holds that value, then what can we do to preserve it as a community? What can we do to come together? Maybe the community can come together with the dollars. Maybe we can put together a fundraiser. Whatever it is to preserve that piece of history for the community. Because, I mean, if, if we talk about what's not valuable, we have old uh, uh, elementary schools and we have old schools that are still standing because they're considered valuable to somebody. So we have to understand when we talk about the historic piece, who is it valuable to? And then let the people decide. Let the people come together, and then we make that decision. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Blaine. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to go uh, back to our mayoral candidate. So we'll start with Councilman Padilla. These questions are related to infrastructure. Uh, this question says, how will you address the blight that continues to plague many areas of the city with abandoned business buildings and various commercial areas? Areas. Thank you, Angel. You know, um, for a long time, uh, certain areas of the city have struggled uh, with, the, with the image that they have. And the problem sometimes um, overlooks the people that are there. The buildings may be in disrepair, but the people who are there are strong, they're, they're hardworking, they're dedicated to this city. And what has to happen is that the city has to be an advocate for private and public partnerships to help those people in those neighborhoods block by block. They're proud of what they have. They'd like to have a little bit more like we all would. But we have to facilitate that effort. We have to help them find the means to do what they want to do for their specific neighborhood. It's not up to the city, I think, to design it for them. We need to ask them what they would like most to impact their neighborhood block by block and facilitate it for every resource that the city has. So it's not just the buildings, it's the people there. Thank you very much. I'll stay there. They'll work hard. Thank you very much. Mr. Cangiotti. Thank you. So we need to keep each other accountable. Uh, we need to keep uh, owners accountable, landowners accountable, um, even tenants in a, in a sense, right? They can they can control some certain things, but for sure we need to keep each other accountable. Yeah. Uh, earlier, um, Mr. Councilman uh, Lesser had said that we are short staffed in city compliance uh, officers, and they go around in the ordinances, and there's not enough to go around to kind of keep up with the rate. We have two many houses and homes, um, even abandoned buildings everywhere. Our, our housing stock is low. So we just have to come together right now um, and, and do something about it. Help 
and being creative in the funding, coming together with private entities. Partnerships are important. Community togetherness is where it's at. We need to come together to help each neighborhood, house by house, at that level, at that, at that level. Thank you. We've had some good musical references uh, during this forum tonight as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, Councilman Hillary, I'll direct this next question to you. Uh, what can the city council do to bring an airline carrier uh, to our airport so that we don't have to go to Kansas City all the time? That's a great question. Um, I've served on some transportation task forces before, met with, actually got to serve on their strategic planning group, or ad hoc group a couple years ago. Um, I think we need to be creative and not go with the status quo. Um, looking at um, just letting maybe some of our small pilots fly in Kansas, get people where they need to go, encouraging that. I've also experienced being in an international airport in a city our size. We've got the runway for it. We've got the workforce for it. Maybe we need to broaden. We've got the freight um, capabilities nearby. I think we need to open up what we're looking at and see if we can't get something going. Thank you very much. Uh, this last question here, I'll direct, looks like it's directed to uh, the candidates in District 9. Uh, so I will start with Councilman Lesser. Uh, this question uh, asks, how do you plan to solve the traffic uh, problems that occur at 21st and Westport? Well, the honest answer with that is I have no freaking idea. Um, <laughs> it's the honest answer. Um, what, uh, what I can tell you is that that, that corridor has has uh, increased in, in, in a couple businesses that have been added in there. And uh, I think what we need to do, um, I hate to be the guy because I'm always the one that says no more studies, no more studies. Um, but I'm not a traffic engineer. Um, I'm not. Um, and there are some times that we have to to um, uh, uh, give, give to to the individuals that are trained and professionals in that. So um, I think what we need to do is do a traffic study to see uh, how we we solve that because it is a problem. I absolutely agree. Um, I avoid it uh, like the play, <laughs> you know, um, because it's tough. But um, um, that was already one on my list. I am keep, told us not to respond on any of these things, but um, I am making lists of different uh, uh, questions. So the uh, I know it says stop, but the answer is uh, I'm glad we do have industry there that we have a problem that we can uh, have, have solved. Thank you very much, Mr. Bland. I agree. It's a uh, hot mess. I mean, you got people wanting to get on the highway and get off the highway, and they don't know if they're going to turn into the car wash or they're going to go to the natural groceries. It's a hot mess, right? Uh, the, the 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 honest answer is, you know, just like Councilman Lesser said, is that we do need to give it to the people uh, who know what they're doing, and that is putting in the hands of those that can study. All I can say is uh, drive attentive, drive safe, and don't drive under the influence uh, in that area. So... <laughs> If you're driving under the influence, please don't be driving, drive cautiously, but just drive attentive for the time being, um, and hopefully you can get home safe. Thank you very much. All right. We do have a couple of questions related to housing um, that we wanted to get to. Uh, Tyson, I will direct this uh, question first to Councilwoman Ortiz. Uh, this question asks, could council candidates please describe their understanding of housing inequity issues and their ideas to solve these inequities in our city? Dr. Platt, we'll start with you. I'll give you some of the experiences that I've seen um, when African-Americans have wanted to go get loans um, to get support so that they can buy their houses. Not that they didn't have the education or they didn't have the funding or the capability of, to be able to pay for the home. But because of the color of their skin when they walked in, um, they were being tailored to go to different areas within the city, um, which we all know is inappropriate, which we all know um, actually pushes people out of our city. And so we have to open up a market within the city where we value who is coming in, value what they are looking at, and support them um, in getting what they're desiring, right? Because if you got the house, you won't, you'll stay. If you got crack, you'll leave today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Councilman Ortiz, look. 
Well, I, I believe, like in my area, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of low to moderate income housing, um, and and I think that we need to to do some fill in with some housing, affordable housing that people can be. Um, business owners or homeowners and, and, and that they can that they can buy into into the property to invest more. Thank you very much. All right. Our next question uh, relates to uh, public safety. And so I will uh, start with this question of uh, Councilman Padilla. Uh, this question says, uh, how are you going to work with the TPD to ensure that officers get the support and training uh, to deal with disabled people in the city? Thank you, Angel. Uh, the work that has been done on the Committee, along with myself, uh, Councilman Padilla, and uh, Councilwoman Ortiz has brought to the public the training agenda that the department uses to address all different kinds of the, uh, of the population that they encounter and serve and get providing services. We actually have gone back two or three times to make sure there is an emphasis on what is being considered in the training agenda to give officers the knowledge and the options and the understanding of the needs rather than just the performance of the duty. So it's really been important and it's really been ingrained. One of the ideas that we're really looking at, looking at is continuing to seek private input from those uh, professions that deal with persons with some disabilities uh, to make sure that that information is given uh, to the police department when creating the agenda for the training so that the perspective is that given to them by those who are affected by those different um, needs and not just from the perspective of police. Thank you very much. Mr. Kanjiani. All right, CPD, we expect a lot from them. Uh, the highest uh, level of, of standard as a citizen speaker. So with that, we need to support them, support them with uh, with their contracts, uh, do a little bit better than we did. Uh, I believe that for sure. Um, it feels like inflation rates are even higher than their uh, raises each year, but that's another issue. How do we support them with the mental health or the disabilities aspect? I think that they have teams um, already formed how to help in those facets when they go out their special calls. I think they can improve on that. Obviously, better training, better support in those areas, uh, better communication in, in that way. So whenever a call is coming in, they they know exactly the circumstances. And also the AMR people, uh, they're, they're underpaid as well. They need to get uh, for all they do and all they see from the very first front line and the fire department as well. But we need to support them in all areas um, with technologies, with equipment, with facilities, with their pay in general. If we expect a lot from them, they should be compensated and, and take care of our city, keep us safe, and all, everyone from disabilities to the common citizens. Thank you, Mr. Ganjani. Uh, this final question we'll pick from, uh, this is a, the category of accessibility and equity. Uh, this will be for Councilwoman Hiller. Uh, this question asks, how would you work to enforce and address the handicap accessible parking issues in the city? We have protected parking through downtown that's pretty extensive and in fact people can even park at meters that in any meter without paying. So we have the on-street parking is, is pretty generous. Um, we have requirements for handicapped spaces at businesses. Certainly we've worked on the ramps and so on. So I'm, I probably need to hear a little more. I mean, we're doing ramps at every single crosswalk. One of the things we need to continue doing is, is sidewalks, sidewalk improvements. The public is doing that. Um, private individuals may need some help on that because if you have a you're mobility impaired and you're on the sidewalk, but then it's covered up by trees or it's all grown up or it's broken up, maybe you have to get off the sidewalk to get around. But I think we're that's one of our strengths, although it's still progressive and we're not there yet. Thank you very much. I do apologize. We have a, a long list of questions, and, and I know we could certainly spend uh, many more hours uh, if we wanted to. Um, but for sake of respecting everyone's time, we do need to bring uh, things to a close. Um, I will encourage uh, folks to reach out to the candidates. Most of these candidates have uh, Facebook pages.
pages or websites um, that folks can reach them, uh, that you can reach out to them through. And so I encourage you, highly encourage you um, to submit your questions that you had tonight to those candidates uh, via their, their various social media uh, platforms. I will remind folks, if you go to the website of the Shawnee County Election Office um, and click on the list of candidates who are listed there, you will also find the email addresses and contact information for each of these folks on here. So you can reach out to them via email or phone as well um, with your questions. So we definitely encourage you to reach out and apologies that we could not get to every single uh, question that we had tonight. Um, I do want to thank again our candidates uh, for devoting two hours tonight uh, to, to going through these questions, going through going through some extensive questions that I know are hard to answer in just two minutes. And so we thank you uh, for joining us tonight and for answering those questions and for answering questions from our audience as well. Uh, again, I want to thank our, our co-hosts uh, for participating tonight for the YWCA Northeast Kansas, the League of Women Voters of Shawnee County, Topeka Jump, and uh, WIBW as our co-host, and that long list of dozens of folks who have also uh, sponsored uh, tonight's event. A huge thank you. Again, a huge credit to our community, uh, the number of folks that we have that care uh, about issues of civic engagement in our community. Some final reminders to note, registration deadline for this election is October 12th. Um, so in just a couple weeks, because time is going by fast, October 12th is a voter registration deadline. As Mary just pointed out in the comments, you can go to ksvotes.org to register yourself to vote, to check your current status, and to request an advance ballot as well. Um, so you can do all three of those things at ksvotes.org. Um, our friends from the Shawnee County uh, Public Library are also having the election office in person um, at the library to register people to vote. Um, so I encourage you, if you'd like to visit in person with the election office, you can do that. And I know folks at Washburn University are providing the same opportunity for their students to register uh, with the election office on their campus. And remember that on October 18th is the day that in-person advanced voting starts. So if you know that you're going to have a busy, busy day on election day, get it done ahead of time. October 18th, you can go down to the Shawnee County election office and vote in person starting that day. Again, remember, we have recorded this session. It is available on social media. Please don't let this event be a secret from other people. Um, share the event, share the information you learned, and keep asking questions and encourage your friends and neighbors to keep asking questions. The only way we're going to get more folks to turn out to vote is when folks get educated, informed, and hold each other accountable. So thank you all once again uh, for coming out tonight. Thank you for the conversations you've had, the questions that you've asked. And again, remember to vote on November 2nd. Thanks once again, everybody. Have a great night.